Hello and welcome to Listen Closely with John and Chris. I'm Chris out here on the uh, pretty steamy West Coast, getting up close to 90 degrees today. Um, John is with me on the even balmier East Coast. John, are you there? I am. I'm, I'm stuck to my bar stool in my kitchen. It's that damn uh, muggy. And, you know, with, uh, with the sound issues we face sometimes recording this fine podcast, I had to shut off the air conditioner and I had to shut off the fan. So that's brutal. Uh, it is brutal. But, you know, the things we do for our fans. We do. We do. Um, and for our fans, we, I think we have a really good episode um, this week. We've actually, we're doing the most contemporary album that we've done uh, in this, our first season. Uh, <laughs> the very recent year of 2001. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it feels like yesterday. It does kind of feel like yesterday, yeah. Um, this came out in the fall of 2001. John, you want to do the honors and tell the fine people what we're doing? Yes. Released on October 9th, 2001, this is 10 new songs by the wonderful, incredible Leonard Cohen. Yes. This, uh, this is a heck of an album, and it's, it's a heck of a story, I think, behind the album, um, you know, the lead up to this album. Um, you know, Cohen had been a, uh, a very successful singer-songwriter. Um, he, of course, has an iconic style. It's, it's close to spoken word. Um, incredible lyrics, uh, you know, he's, he's written poetry, and it, it certainly shows in his lyrics. Um, it does. He has a style that, like on paper, it just shouldn't. <laughs> it just shouldn't work. Um, you know, he's basically <laughs> with this kind of gravelly voice speaking his way through these songs, and yet somehow uh, he 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 always it just works. It always comes together. It does, and I think it's a testament to the lyrics. I mean, I think you can make the same argument for for Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. um, whose voice is, is pretty horrific. Um, I, I, I will say there was a sexiness to Cohen's voice, maybe, that wasn't in Dylan's nasally twang. Um, but you're right, it shouldn't work, but my God, does it ever work? It sure does, it sure does. And you're right, and I mean, he was a, I mean, Cohen, Cohen is a, the ladies love Cohen, um, I think in a way that, that they don't love Dylan. Uh, there is definitely a sexiness. And, um, you know, he's Canadian born, which I think a lot of people don't, don't realize. What's uh, that about? What's, what is that all about? Um, you know, he, he had had a couple decades of success and then we get into the nineties and, um, Leonard's, he's a little burnt out, right, John? Well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, that's the ironic thing. You know, Cohen had this in incredible run in the late 80s early 90s so the the low point of his career or the you know the phrase we like to use on listen closely the nadir of his career was probably the late 70s into the early 80s then suddenly late 80s early 90s cohen is back and he's cool again and everybody's talking about him he releases these two successful albums 1988's i'm your man 1992's The Future, 
And the music, his music's featured prominently in major motion pictures. Waiting for the Miracle is in Natural Born Killers in 1994. Uh, it's also in 2000's Wonder Boys. Hallelujah is, of course, in Shrek, as, as we all know. Mm. And uh, the late, great Jeff Buckley, let's not forget, covers Hallelujah on his uh, amazing 1994 album, Grace. So, again, all of a sudden, in the early to mid-90s, a whole new generation is discovering Leonard Cohen, myself included, as a teenager. I'm like, wow, who's this gravelly-voiced guy that's pretty well-dressed on his album covers? Uh, this is really interesting. And in 1995, and this is a testament to just how popular he was again, uh, to coincide with his 60th birthday, they released Tower of Song, which is a Cohen tribute album, and it really featured the best of the best in music at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, and by that, I mean Sting, Willie Nelson, Bono, Peter Gabriel, Billy Joel, Don Henley, Tori Amos, Elton John, and several others. Uh, you and I have discussed this album before, Chris. The highlight, I'm sure you'll agree with me, is undoubtedly Depeche Mode's Martin Gore doing a haunting version of Cohen's Coming Back to You, uh, which is just absolutely incredible. Yep, absolutely. And so there's all this Cohen mania happening in 94, 95, and even a few years after that. One big thing, though, one conspicuous absence, and that's the man himself. What the hell happened to Leonard Cohen? Where is he? So you mentioned burnout. And following a worldwide tour in 1993, he's a mess. He's drinking too much. He's depressed. Uh, he's coming to terms, trying to come to terms with the demise of his relationship with the much younger and much prettier uh, Rebecca De Mornay. Do you remember Rebecca De Mornay? I sure do. Hand that rocks the cradle. I think she was in Backdraft. Yeah. Well, she was rocking Cohen's cradle and. Maybe his backdraft as well. I don't know. But um, now th picture that couple there because she's in her early 30s at this point, I think, and Cohen's in his late 50s. Now, either she just can't resist the charm and the, the lyrics of, of the words of Mr. Cohen or her father beat her when she was 10. I don't know. But either way, Cohen is not happy with the demise of the relationship. He claims to be knocking off three bottles of wine a night. Um, he calls up an old buddy of his who's an aging, a 90-year-old Zen Buddhist master named Roshi. Uh, he tells Roshi about the issues. Roshi invites Cohen to visit him at his mountaintop retreat for some tea one afternoon. This is in Los Angeles. It was called the Mount Baldy Zen Center. So Cohen goes up to the mountain to visit Roshi for tea, and he ends up staying for about five years. Yeah, it's <laughs> incredible. I, you know, and I've read, we often talk about musicians and, and excess and disillusionment and those themes. Uh, we always come back to that. And I, I read, I saw an interview with Cohen. Um, it's actually with the Swedish journalist Stina Dabrowski uh, from 2001, where he explains his state of mind when he went up there. Okay. Um, 
and he says, I was at loose ends. Um, and he says he was, she asked him, you know, what, what was it that was that you were disillusioned about? And he says, it's the same kind of thing that happens to everybody. He says, you don't get, you, you don't get what you want. And if you do get it, it isn't what you wanted. The objects of your desire continuously escape you. Um, there seems to be some wisdom, some path that if you could only embrace it, you could extract yourself from distress and suffering. There's a feeling that there's another life that would be better, another way that would be better, uh, another lover would be better. This idea that there's something to grasp, um, which I think is just, I mean, doesn't that wow. sound good? It, that sounds like Cohen. That sounds like a Cohen song right there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so he goes in there and he's, He's in there for five years, almost, right? I think so. Almost five years. I think he got out in late 1999, and then he went to live with his daughter in her like apartment out of outside of L.A. And that's the amazing thing because I think that's why this album came as such a surprise. People had written him off. They said Cohen's done. You know, at this point, he's in his 60s. He's had two acts really in his career. His huge first act of success in the mid to late 60s. And then that comeback in the late 80s, early 90s. And they figure that's that. Um, but that's one of the things I like about this album. You hear of singer performers who have a second act in their career. Uh, Ten New Songs heralds the start of what is Cohen's third act. Uh, and unfortunately for all of us, this third act would last for just about 15 years up until the end of his life. And I think it's pretty damn amazing. I think there's some great output in that third act. There sure is. There sure is. He, um, you know, he hooks up with uh, Sharon Robinson, uh, singer, songwriter, producer, who we'd worked with before, and um, they worked really closely on this album. And man, they made some beautiful songs together. Um, they really did. They really did. Interesting arrangements on the album, and that I read is all Sharon Robertson. Yeah, she's she's extremely talented. Uh, you know, she's on the cover of the album with him. Um, you know, you you said to me the other day. I mean, you could very easily have credited her. With, you know, this should be by Leonard Cohen and Sharon Robinson. Um, I agree. Yeah. Um, you know, what did the what did what did how did the critics respond to this one, John? The critics responded largely uh, quite positively. Um, Playboy magazine, for those who actually read the articles, of course. Um, which is exactly why I would pick up Playboy um, in 2001, wrote that at the age of 67, Cohen's pessimism about the human condition is tempered with reconciliation. And they went on to say that a zen-like serenity pervades every song. Both Entertainment Weekly and The Village Voice gave the album an A- minus upon its release. And about 10 years ago, Rolling Stone magazine ranked their uh, top 100 albums of the 2000s. And 10 New Songs was in that list. It was actually number 100. Wow. Y yeah, you know, you mentioned the the first one you mentioned uh, where it said it was sort of sprinkled with uh, kind of Zen wisdom. I, I could see a scenario where, where a guy goes into a uh, sort of a Zen retreat and comes out and is, is just kind of an obnoxious douche. Do you know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, listening to interviews with Cohen, I mean, 
he's incredibly thoughtful and you can tell this experience. I mean, he really learned some things about himself and, uh, and about life and came out the better for it. I, I kind of hope that one day I can disappear into a Zen monastery for like five years. Would you go for five full years though? I don't know that I could do it. I guess a year maybe. Yeah, I would give myself maybe 10 days. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't, in the first like uh, four days of lockdown, you were, you were going insane. I was, yeah, I really was. Yeah. They, they don't have bars at uh, Zen retreats, do they? It's, it's a good question. I'm, I'm going to guess not, but um, I've never been to one, so I can't really say. Well, you live a little closer to Mount Baldy than I do, so maybe uh, you may need to make a trek down to L.A. Maybe I will. You know, it's probably very social distance friendly. Um, <laughs> you can't go see a Lakers game right now, so why not? That's right. That's right. Um, now, Cohen makes this, Cohen and Robinson make this, this beautiful album. Um, but what, you know, every album has a, has a low point. What for you? What would be the, uh, the nadir of this album? So for me, the easy choice, uh, despite the fact that I very much like this album, but I went with the song By the Rivers Deep. Um, you know, here's my thing. With a title as good as that, <laughs> you should think that the song is going to be pretty damn amazing, uh, particularly considering the circumstances surrounding the writing of this album, which we discussed. But the end result is a song that I find rather forgettable. And, you know, the arrangements on the album sound like, um, you know, it's, it's all sequencers and synthesizers done by Sharon Robertson. And I like that. It, it sounds like a one-man hotel bar lounge act in the background. But I think that adds to the appeal of the album because it forces the listener to kind of focus on Cohen's lyrics, which I think are beautiful all throughout the album but on by the rivers deep it just sounds like a band playing at a bad greek wedding to me and it's it's a shame because you know this is the only song in the album that i really don't care for all that much really this is by by the river's dark right by the river's dark yeah did i call yeah. it deep yeah yeah see such such is my disdain for the song that i didn't even get the name right I see. I kind of like this one. It's sort of like it's got all the it's a lot of biblical references, the Babylon stuff. It just seems very epic to me. But you, you don't you don't like it? No, I don't. Lyrically, it's fine. I mean, I'll, lyrically, this album start to finish is amazing. I just the music takes me absolutely nowhere. Okay. But okay. I'm curious to know now. What did you choose as your nadir? Well, my reasoning is kind of similar, a different song, but uh, Love Itself. Um, you know, really? what song, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice little song, um, as usual, beautiful lyrics, but it just never, you know, Cohen, it, it, everything is so understated with Cohen. You know, that's, that's the whole thing. I mean, to me, Cohen's really somebody who you, Cohen's a little bit like alcohol itself, like, it's best enjoyed like after five o'clock, like it's a nighttime thing. Like if you're, if you're listening to Cohen at two in the afternoon. That's what you think. Well, if you're listening to Cohen at like 11 AM, you might want to step back and you know, there's probably some stuff going on you got to work through, I think. Um, 
Unless, you know, you're on a vacation. There's a pandemic. But what does that have to do with, with the song Love Itself? I, I actually think that's a great song. Well, because I'm, what I'm saying is that it's always so subdued, and that's the point, but this one is, like, you've got to have some, like, minimal level of, uh, of energy there. And this one, to me, just never quite gets to that, like, minimum threshold. Like, I, I, there's not much to it musically. It's so, it's so sparse that it's really just, like, just reading a poem with a little, little music in the background. Wow. And you know, that was in the running for my Zenith. It, I, it's not what I went with. Really? But it, I, I almost did. Yeah, I love that song. I, I, think it's, I think it's an incredible song. I love the way the two, I don't want to say they harmonized because Cohen always just sings the same note. But I feel like uh, Sharon Robertson's voice kind of adds a, a beautiful sweetness in particular to that, that song. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't like it. Yeah, I, again, I wouldn't say that I didn't like it. I just think it's, um, you know, it doesn't quite match up to the rest of the songs on the album to me. Um, but uh, hey, you know, there's beauty and difference. So um, now what, what did you pick for your sleeper? So my sleeper was track number three. And this really stood out at me uh, listening to the album. Uh, a lot over the last week or so. The song's called That Don't Make It Junk. Uh, it's fun, catchy, has a great country and Western vibe to it. And I think the lyrics are great. Because, you know, Cohen can be very funny sometimes with his lyrics. Uh, and I love, I just love what he's talking about here. I, I struggled with the bottle, but I had to do it drunk. Took my diamond to the pawn shop, but that don't make it junk. I mean, it's it's very much like Cohen decided to sit down and write a country music song, yeah. um, but just do it Leonard Cohen style. I think that's a great song. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I think that's a good sleeper pick for sure. Um, but think... I'm guessing that's not what you went with. <laughs> no, you know, I kind of feel like there's, there's just any number of sleeper songs on this album. Um, the whole album is a sleeper, really. Exactly, exactly. So I went a little different direction and I, my sleeper on this album is Sharon Robinson. Um, and I thought just for a, a moment, just to talk about her because she's such a key piece of this album. And I think what, what makes this album so great in part is she's got this beautiful melodic voice. She does. The, the way that that plays off of, of Cohen's, you know, raspy, monotone uh it just totally works there's something about it that's so cool um and she she spent a lot of years with cohen she was a backup singer uh, in the late 70s early 80s um she collaborated on songs with him in uh in the 80s and 90s um you know and then she had a huge a huge role in this album um and she's done she's released albums of her own she's even uh you know got some of the some of this, there's some crossover on songs. Like she does a version of Alexandra leaving um, on her album. I, you know, I, it's good. I don't think it's as good as the version with the two of them together. But, um, you know, she's immensely talented. And, you know, not only does she sing, but she, she writes, she produces. Um, so to me, she's the real, the real sleeper of this album. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, she really brings this album up to another level. 
I think Cohen probably couldn't have done it on his own getting out of the retreat. And if he did, it would have just been a, a wonderful collection of um, well-written lyrics. Uh, but I think Sharon really makes all the difference. And Cohen always had this knack of finding these, these female singer-songwriters, using them in his backup band, but then sort of promoting them along the way. Uh, did you know that Jennifer Warren's got her start, I think, as a backing singer for Leonard Cohen? I probably want to say in the 70s. I did not. Wow. Yeah. And she went on to, of course, It's the Right Time of the Night and uh, to join the Bill Medley on the Dirty Dancing theme, which is about as polar opposite from Leonard Cohen <laughs> as, as you could get, right? Leonard Cohen, Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Oh my God. Yeah. And that song too is like kind of sickly sweet, you know, it's really the opposite. I hate that song. <laughs> the passion of the Christ. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> it's a but, terrible. T I never even liked that movie, to be honest with you. You know, I think it's more of a, I think it's more of a women's movie. I mean, you know, respect to Swayze though. Swayze had his moments. I think we can agree. Yeah, it's, it's no, he had his moments in Roadhouse, maybe, but... Oh, of course, yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Wow. Anyway. Well, what... Um, let's get to the big one here. What, what do you have for your Zenith? What's the, what's the best part of this album for you? So this was a challenge, because there were, in fact, three different songs I was torn between, uh, one of which is your uh, Nadir, surprising. Uh, now I'm wishing I chose that one as my zenith. Um, that would have really made for a great discussion. But ultimately, I went with track number seven, Alexandra Leaving. Um, yes, I know that Cohen admittedly based the lyrics on a poem called The God Abandons Antony by Constantine P. Cavafy. I guess he was a Greek poet. Um, but there's enough of Cohen's own amazing words here to make this a classic. I think it's the best song on the album, uh, definitely the most haunting and, and the most beautiful. And I think it's one of the best works from the third act of Cohen's career. Actually, I think it is the best song from the third act of Cohen's career. I absolutely love that song. I find it incredibly moving. It's a beautiful one. Yeah, that's definitely one that I, that I considered. Um, and I think it has to be up there as as one of his, uh, certainly one of the best of his later career and uh, probably best altogether, yeah. Lyrically, it's just, it's, it's so powerful. And I think, again, we, we mentioned Sharon Robert, Robinson and the whole element to the album that she brings. And the two of them together on that song in particular, I just, I'm never, it never fails to amaze me. Yeah, no, I, I love, I mean, just that say goodbye to Alexandra leaving, say goodbye to Alexandra lost. Even though she sleeps upon your satin, even though she wakes you with a kiss, do not say the moment she was imagined, do not say the moment was imagined, do not stoop to strategies like this. It's the whole song is, it's gorgeous. It really is. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. But what did you go with? Well, well, before we, can I ask you what your other two that you considered were? Well, one of them was, uh, right. of course, uh, Love Itself. Uh, the other one was A Thousand Kisses Deep, uh, which I think is a great, great song. Uh, I, I, actually, I love that song, but I, 
ultimately had to give the edge to Alexander leaving. Yeah. Well, that is a perfect segue because my zenith is. I knew it. Um, oh, man. This is like. Are you back on Boogie Street? Oh. <laughs> I kind of wish. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, this is the ultimate like, late night boozy. You're kind of. You've kind of lost control a little bit song. Um, there's all these references to gambling. It's, I mean, just from the start, it starts out, the ponies run, the girls are young, the odds are there to beat. You win a while and then it's done, your little winning streak. Uh, and summon now to deal with your invincible defeat. You live your life as if it's real, a thousand kisses deep. It's, it's fucking great. Don't stop there, because then it goes into the best part. I'm turning tricks, I'm getting fixed, I'm back on Boogie Street. Um, yeah. And that was, I think, Cohen announcing his return right there. Yeah, you know, he, he talked about Boogie Street and kind of what that meant to him. It was kind of, uh, you know, Boogie Street was sort of the, the down and dirty world that, that sucks you in, you know, all of the temptations and, um, you know, all those, all those temptations of life and that pull you out of the kind of Zen ideal. Um, and, uh, man, the song just like embodies it. I love it. It's definitely got, you're right. That kind of late night boozy, slightly sleazy vibe to it. Um, you know, and there's a, there's a little bit of that all throughout the album and you know, the album is, I find quite mellow, uh, but then it gets into that sleazy, slightly brooding vibe that you get on a thousand kisses deep. And, you know, I feel like somewhere in 2001, there was some guy in Toronto uh, on a cold November evening inviting the lady back to his place one night. You know, maybe they're watching Hockey Night in Canada or something. Uh, and he's like, hey, do you want to listen to the newest Leonard Cohen CD? And uh, she's like, I, I forgot all about Leonard Cohen. Oh, he's back, baby. Yeah, and, and uh, you know they crack open a few labats, and uh, the rest is history. And I think it all goes down to to a thousand kisses deep. That's just my, and it's you know it's a seven and a half minute song, so it's it's perfect length. I, I think that there were probably literally thousands of men in Toronto that year who were who were doing just that. Um, well, yeah. probably it's a sexier sound than whatever Neil Young was putting out at that time, or Brian <laughs> Adams, Rush. So. Yeah. No, it's 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 great. And this album, it it has that kind of those sleazy parts to it. It also has, you know, like the opening track. Um, it has in my secret life. You know, that's an example. Great song. Yeah, and that and some of the other songs have almost like a Caribbean hint to it. You know, a little bit, a little bit. Like I feel, they feel very islandy to me. Um, so there's some some cool sounds that run through this this uh, this album. I know you know one thing I read was that Bob Dylan was a huge Cohen fan, and um, he said that Cohen was really underappreciated for his ability to find great melodies, like great simple melodies. Um, you know that he could just kind of hear them, um, hear lyrics that that other people would uh, would die to have. He said. Um, you know, when people talk about Leonard, they fail to mention his melodies, which to me, along with his lyrics, are his greatest genius. Um, 
he compared him to compared him to Irving Berlin, actually. Wow. Um, yeah. And I never heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Wow. Yeah. What? Um, you know, as we as we always do. Um, any personal reflections? You know, personal moments having to do with this album for you? Actually, yes. Um, it was a few years back. I want to say about two or three years ago. It was a cold winter's night. I sound like I'm writing a Cohen-esque uh, <laughs> lyric here. But no, it, it was a true story. It was, it was a cold uh, night, random Tuesday or Wednesday one winter. Um, I pulled out this album and I uh, poured myself a glass of red wine. I laid down on the area rug in my, uh, my living room and uh, I turned up, you know, I had the big speakers on the wall units in the living room and I put on Alexander leaving and closed my eyes and sipped the wine. And I know it sounds like it's, it's a little, I don't know, a little ridiculous, uh, but it was, it was a beautiful few minutes that night. It really was, you know, uh, Cohen, you, you said it best, Chris, earlier that maybe you don't put on Cohen at 1030 in the morning when you're packing your bag to go to the beach on a Saturday in July. Um, but at, you know, 9.30 p.m. on a Tuesday night in February, when it's, you know, 25 degrees outside, it's, it's the right thing to do. It's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. How about you? Any memories? You know, I didn't hear this album until several years after it came out, to be honest. Um, but I, I, do, I do remember you know, just hearing about Cohen here and there in high school and in college before I really got to know him, his music better. Um, there was just such an aura to Cohen. Uh, you know, it, it was like only the coolest of the cool people knew Cohen where I, in the circles that I ran in. Like most people didn't, didn't really even know about him, I think. Maybe no, you're right. Uh, at least, and that's, that's the thing that, that always blew my mind because here we are, at least where you and I grew up, we are, what would you say, maybe five and a half, six hours south of the Canadian border yeah. uh, where we grew up. And if you cross that one line, Cohen is a god. Cohen's as big as Dylan up there, probably bigger. Mm. Um, but down here, you're right. You really had to be in the know to be a Cohen fan. And the average 18, 19, 20-year-old didn't know who the hell Leonard Cohen was in 1996, 1997. But we did. Yeah, I had no idea. Um, I would just hear vague, you know, snippets, and I kind of knew the name, but I didn't, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't, you know, kind of uh, really find out about him until maybe after college, I think. But I'm it happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, where do we go from here? We've got, well, John, do you think that this album kind of captures the zeitgeist of 2001? No, I don't. But I don't think Cohen really intended to attempt to even capture the zeitgeist of the early 2000s, whatever that zeitgeist might have been. Um, and I, I certainly don't think he was going out about, going out of his way, rather, to try to make an album that sounded like it was from that era. That's yeah. not what this album is about. And uh, no, I, I don't think it did, uh, not in the least. Do you? No, I agree completely. I think, you know, there's, there's just some, there's some albums where you're, you're not trying to reflect the, 
the time. You know, I think there's a timelessness, in fact, to this album where uh, this is something that would have probably played well any time from like 1970 to, to today. I agree. Um, and, you know, in, in large part because the melodies are so beautiful and simple and the lyrics are so great. I mean, that, that's, that doesn't go out of style. Um, it's timeless. You're right. Yeah. Um, final question. Is this the perfect album? No, not at all. Uh, but it's a damn good album. And I, I don't, me personally, I don't think Cohen was striving for perfection. I think the idea was just to get him to record something, anything. There was a nine-year gap between the future in 1992 and 10 new songs in 2001. And between that, there was maybe one live CD and one compilation CD. So people were just so happy that he was back and, and that he was recording something and that it was a very, very good album. Perfect album? No but it doesn't have to be. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think there's, you know, there's ups and downs to it, but um, I think it's a great album, but you know, not perfect. I do think that it's, it's definitely an album that you can just put on and just let it roll um, and just kind of fall into its ebbs and flows. You know, there's, there's no, when I put this on, I'm not skipping around at all. I'm just listening to the whole thing. Yeah, I think you're right. It's all about the ebbs and flows. And I think it's, it's sort of the, I, don't know, I guess there's sort of a state of mind with this album, if that makes any sense. Totally. And uh, I think you really have to just embrace it. And you're not going to be listening to a single here or a single there. Um, I think this album's best altogether, and you don't really skip any of it. Agreed. Agreed. Um, before we go, any final thoughts? No, I just said I think it's it's a great album. I think it it deserves its place in the top 100 of the 2000s. I think it should be higher. I think it should be much higher than number 100. But I think it stands as a testament to the genius and to the beauty of the work of the late Leonard Cohen. And uh, for those listeners out there who know some Cohen, maybe they know Hallelujah, which is the one that is sort of the hit now. Uh, I actually think that's one of his lesser songs. Um, Ten New Songs is really, really captures Cohen at 67 years old, still at the top of his game. That's that's really all I have to say about it. How about you? Yeah, I think you know whether you know him or not. I mean, this is a this is a great one to start with. Um, you know, if you're new to Cohen. Uh, crack open a bottle of wine, bottle of scotch some night. and uh, A Labatt's. Don't forget Labatt's or Molson. Or Labatt's or Molson, yeah. Um, yeah, and just put it on and just sit back and relax. Um, it's going to take you to some dark places, but uh, it's good for the soul. It is. It is. Yeah, it's a great album. All right, John. Great talking to you as, as always. As always, and thank you all for listening. Absolutely. Um, We'll be back next week. Back with more of this stuff. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye, John. Bye-bye.